you have your Bibles this morning and you would, open them to Mark chapter 7 as we're going through the book of Mark. And the reason we go through a book at a time is so that we can't skip any part of the Word of God. All of us have parts that we like more than others. The parts that talk about other people's sin is much more enjoyable for me to read than the ones that talk about my sin. Uh, The verses about it being encouraged are much more appealing than the verses on correction. But when you go verse by verse, word by word, book by book, you cannot skip any of it. And so in Mark chapter 7, Jesus has been looking at the most religious people and telling them, even though you think you're right with God, you are not. Even though you think you're going to heaven, you're not. And what I see so many times as a pastor is many people doubt whether or not they're a child of God. And yet they probably should be confident in what God has done in their life. And on the flip side, there are many people who live however they want, do what they want, say what they want, but then think that they're right with God and really they're not. And what we see from this passage of Scripture is Jesus telling us that you can know whether you are a child of God, not because you feel like it or because you have a heart that's telling you that, but you can look at the evidence of what God is doing in your life and realize, do you belong to Him or not? Now, it's not an easy thing to let the Spirit of God deal with us because none of us like to admit our faults. We are the easiest to lie to ourselves. And this morning, this sermon is going to be short but the introduction is going to be long. And the reason is, we went through this last week, and I told you that this week we were going to look at each one of the specific sins that Jesus said, what is in your heart comes out. If your heart is evil and lost, that's what comes out. If you're a child of God, you're born again, that is what is going to come out of you. And so today it's going to be an evaluation as the Spirit of God deals with us. Now, it's easy to look at your wife or to look at the people sitting in the row with you and say, they've got some serious problems. But Jesus specifically is talking to His disciples for them to be able to know, did they really belong to Him? So I want to show you in the Bible, I want you to write these down, don't try to flip with me, because I want to show you what the Bible says, and then it will help us understand where we're at today. In Jeremiah chapter 17, the Bible says the heart is wicked. Listen to what the Bible says in Jeremiah chapter 17. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it. That means this morning, no matter who you are, you have a sin problem. Today, if you are born, if you are breathing, you need Jesus. There is none of us who has a clean heart on our own. There is none of us who is righteous on our own. And so this morning, this sermon applies to each and every person who has ever been born. But the great part of this is that even though God knows that our heart is deceitfully wicked, He loves us. He loved us so much knowing that the punishment of sin is death. And death is separation from God forever in a place called hell. But even though God knew our wickedness, He loved us enough, the Bible says in John chapter 3, to give us these words. That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. So God knew our hearts were wicked. God knew that we were sinful. God knew that we were separated from Him but yet loved us enough to send Jesus into this world to die for our sins, to be raised for our victory, that even though we are far from God, we could be brought near to God. Even though we are an enemy of God, we can be made the family of God. Even though we are outcast, we can be adopted into the family of God. God loved you so much knowing how wicked we would be that He sent Jesus anyway. That's why the Bible says that Christ died for the ungodly. And so today we have a sin problem, but God is a God of love and has made a way for us to be saved. But the heart is the issue. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is talking about the heart. He keeps saying, your heart, your heart, your heart is the problem. And Ezekiel writes, God telling the nation of Israel, which then is applied to us, these words. In Ezekiel 36, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. This morning you need to know that the only way to heaven is the new birth. It is when God takes the old, dead, wicked you and makes you brand new. The Bible says you became a new creation in Christ when you were saved. What Ezekiel says is God takes that old heart of stone and callous and makes it brand new. He gives you a new nature. And not only that, the Spirit of God comes to indwell you. He comes to lead you, guide you, to convict you and secure you. So when we talk, about salvation. When we celebrate what Nola did this morning by showing you the outward sign, it's a big deal. Because salvation is something that only God does. He works and He moves and He changes a person forever. And so when we talk about salvation in church, it is not a man-made thing. It's not a Baptist thing, a Catholic thing, a Lutheran thing, a Methodist thing. It is when the very power of God forever changes you forever takes care of the sin problem that you have, makes you brand new, and it's all through faith and the grace of God. We're thankful for that. But what we see is this. When God saves you, He changes you. And this morning, the evidence whether or not you are a child of God is, is your life reflecting the change that God has done? The change doesn't save you. The godly living doesn't save you. But when God changes you and saves you, it does something to you. King David said it like this, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He was a believer that had fallen into sin and knew that God was not pleased with him. And when you become a Christian, truly experience the life-changing power of Jesus, there is something in you that wants to please Him. There is something in you that knows when your relationship with Him is off. And if you're here this morning and you're a Christian living in sin, and that is not the case, there's a problem. There's a problem with your heart. 
Because what we see is that sin in the life of a Christian has a desire when God deals with us to bring him back to himself. And the sermon this morning is all about when God really saves you and really changes you, what do you do with it? In 1 John chapter 3, the Bible says it like this, In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. That means there's evidence. The children of God have evidence in their life and the children of Satan have evidence in their life. And what is that evidence? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Now this is very important this morning because if you want to know whether you're a child of God, it's not what your heart tells you. It's not what the feelings tell you. It is what God's Word promises you. You can know God's promise whether you're a child of God or not. Tonight you can go home, lay your head on the pillow, knowing that if absent from the body, present with the Lord. You can know that while you might stumble, while you might struggle, while you might not be able to earn God's love, that He still loves you by knowing the evidence of your life. 1 John chapter 4 says it like this. Bear with me for just a moment longer. When you leave here today, I don't want you to say, I don't like that guy. I don't agree with that guy. I want you to say, I still don't like him and I might not agree with him, but that is what God's Word says. All right? Okay. I didn't figure I'd get very many amens today, but that's all right. 1 John chapter 4 says it like this. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. So if you have been born again, if the Spirit of God lives within you, this is what it looks like. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, you have to admit, believe, confess, abides in Him and He in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And He who abides in love abides in Him and God in Him. If you're a child of God, you begin to love God and love other people differently. You say, Jake, I just can't love people. Then there's a problem in your heart with your relationship with God. You say, I just can't love my spouse. I just can't love my enemy. I just can't love the person I work with. Then what I want you to see today is the evidence says that there is a problem in your relationship with God. Either you are not a child of God or you are a Christian who is backslidden. Either one of those is a dangerous place to be. You say, Jake, where is the gray area? It's not in there. Either you love God and He begins to change you, or you don't know the love of God. You say, Jake, those are bold words this morning. I'm sorry, they're not mine. Hebrews chapter 10, and then we'll jump in, all right? Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 26. For if we sin willfully, don't miss that. There is a difference between being a Christian struggling with sin and being a Christian who is willfully defying God. Will I have a lustful thought? You bet. But is lust controlling my life? 
I'll have a prideful thought, but is pride controlling my life? Are you going to have marriage trouble and difficulties in your marriage? Absolutely. But if unforgiveness is all you have in your heart, you are willfully sinning. That is why we talk about in church struggling with sin or living in sin. A child of God always struggles with sin. The Apostle Paul said, the things I do want to do, I don't. The things I don't want to do, I do. But what the writer of Hebrews says is, if you are willfully sinning, that means making a choice to know what God's Word says and doing something as a lifestyle. That is why, Christian, you'll hear preachers say that the homosexual lifestyle is not compatible with the Christian faith because it's a lifestyle. It's a choice that goes every day. That's why Christians might struggle with alcohol, but yet a Christian isn't a drunkard. Why? Because willful sin. Listen to what it says. For if we willfully sin after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. If you have been privileged to hear the Word of God, if you have been privileged to hear the truth of God, if you have been under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, know what God's Word says and willfully disobey God. What it says here is, Jesus cannot die for you again. There is no greater sacrifice that can save you than what Jesus did. And so this morning, as the Spirit convicts us and deals with our hearts, you and I have to make a response. And who am I in Christ? Is the evidence there that I really do belong to Him? And so that was the introduction, and the sermon's going to be short. So pray with me, and we'll let the Lord take care of it. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, You know this is not an easy topic. Lord, You know that sin and salvation are struggles for us, us fallen man. And so today, Lord, I pray that Your Holy Spirit would work and move. Lord, there is nothing that we can do to change hearts and change lives. Only You can do that. And Lord, I pray that You would. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I said all that about sin to get to Mark chapter 7. Look at verse 17 with us this morning. When he had entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said to them, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart but his stomach, and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said to them, What comes out of a man that defiles a man? Remember, he is talking to the most religious people and they have been upset because they didn't wash their hands. And Jesus just told them, that's not the issue, it's the heart. God has to change your heart. Food going into you doesn't make you unclean. And this is a basic, simple, physical description. You eat, then after some time, it exits. Right? Going in is not the problem, coming out is, all right? There's not a problem with handling food on the table, but you don't handle it in the toilet, okay? That makes sense to everybody, all right? Jesus is saying that, right? Food cannot affect the spiritual condition because He says if God changes your heart, if God saves you, He has made you brand new. 
But what I love about this the most is His disciples are the one asking this question. They're asking, what are you talking about? And Jesus does not get angry with them. Jesus wants them to understand. And so if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want you to write down is this. God wants us to understand and know where we stand with Him. If you're a parent, you have probably had your children ask you questions that you do not want to answer. I'll never forget the first time one of our kids said to me, Dad, where do these babies come from? God gives them to us. No, how do they get inside mommy's belly? Ask your mom. Right? I don't want to explain that to my kids. They're not at a place where they need to understand that and all of those things. But yet God does not get angry with the disciples. He explains to them this truth. And today, you need to know that God is willing to reveal Himself to you. God is willing to work in your situation. God is willing to work in your marriage. God is willing to work with your family. I'm thankful that we have a God who saw our condition and loved us enough to come anyway. I am thankful that we have a God that is not willing that any should perish. I am thankful that when God said, if you want to be saved, you can come and experience and freely drink of the water of life. This morning, the only reason you leave here without a relationship with Jesus or in the same mess that you came with is because you will not allow the Spirit of God to work in your heart. But I'm thankful this morning that He will work. I'm thankful that when they asked this question, He didn't say, I've already explained it to you, or you should know better. No. He says, are you without understanding? Let me explain it again. Now, some people read this and say, well, why did He explain it? It wasn't for His benefit. The Bible says that God already knows what's in our heart. He didn't have to tell them what was in theirs. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, the Bible says it like this, The Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance as his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The evidence of our salvation is not for God's benefit. He knows if you're saved or not. God knows if your name's look written in the Lamb's book of life. The reason we get to see the evidence of what God does in our life is for us to know. And when there's wickedness in our life, God already knows the heart behind it. But when I'm living in sin, God allows me the evidence of knowing that I am not where I should be. And so this morning we have this wonderful privilege of God producing fruit in our life or we have the unfortunate aspect of our sin producing fruit in our life so that we can know that God knows our heart. Well, a lot of people will say this to me, well, Jake, you're saved by grace through faith alone, and it doesn't matter what you do. You're absolutely right. You cannot add to your salvation. You cannot take away from your salvation. Nolan was already going to go to heaven whether he was baptized today or not. But what happens is when God saves you, God changes you, there is something that begins to take place. You have a desire to please God by obeying Him, by honoring Him, by serving Him. I've had, I don't know how many people over the years say, well, Jesus came to destroy the law. The, all the Old Testament, all the New Testament, 
All I need is Jesus. That's all I need. And you're right. But not for your life. Not for obeying Him. Jesus never said He came to destroy the law. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Do not think I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. You see, Jesus came and lived the life that I couldn't live. He honored God in a way that I cannot honor Him. He died a death that I could not die and bring honor to God. And so Jesus becomes the object and person of our worship because He is everything. He is perfection. But that does not change that after God saves me, that I have a desire just like Jesus to please the Father. Just like Jesus to honor the Word of God. You say, well, Jake, I disagree with you. That's okay. You're going to be wrong the rest of the sermon, and I'm okay with that. But I want to show you the second and final point that I have this morning. Jesus wants us to understand and know where we stand with Him. But God gives us the specifics so that we cannot ignore the evidence. God gives us the specifics so that we cannot ignore the evidence. You say, Jake, I haven't enjoyed this sermon at all so far. It's going to get worse. Look here in verse 21. For within, out of the heart of men, he says, so I told you that the heart is either right or wrong with God, and here is the evidence specifically. Out of the heart of men perceive evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, theft, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. So what are these specific sins? If Jesus cared enough to give specific sins, why does it matter? Because these are the ones we struggle with the most. And these are the ones that we usually brush aside as that it's not a big deal to God. And so what do these sins mean? Here we go. Evil thoughts is a wicked way of thinking. When God's Word says something, even though you've read it and you know it's right, that you say, I'm going to live a different way. For instance, if the Bible says, husbands, you are to love your wives like Christ loves the church, you know it says that, but I'm not going to do it is wicked. When the Bible says, wives, submit and honor your husbands, you know it says that, but I'm not going to do it. It's a wicked thought. When the Bible says that you should forgive your enemies, you should extend mercy or compassion, whatever God's Word says, when you read it and know it and say no, what Jesus says is your mind is evil and you're not right with God. I didn't say it. He did. Out of an evil heart comes evil ways. The second thing it says in this passage of Scripture is adultery. Adultery is when a married person has any kind of sexual relations with someone other than their wife. The Bible tells us that that is sin and that someone who practices that continually is wrong with God. That doesn't mean it doesn't happen. That doesn't mean that God can't forgive it. But if that is the lifestyle that defines your marriage, Jesus says your heart is evil. 
It goes on and says fornications. Fornication is the word that we get pornography from. That's not saying that you don't struggle with pornography, that God has not forgiven you from that. But if that is the lifestyle that you're living, that is any kind of premarital sex, that would include living together, that would include whatever terminology people are using today, or homosexuality. Jesus says you cannot be right with God and be practicing such things. Murders. It says hatred or taking the life of someone else. Having an unforgiveness, a hatred toward a person. Theft means secretly stealing what doesn't belong to you. Covetous is lusting after earthly things more than God. When the things of this world become more important to you than God. What Jesus says is you can call yourself a Christian, you can say you're right with me, but the evidence doesn't prove that. Deceit is to trick, is to bait people. It is to cause them to stumble and fall into sin. Wickedness is the heart behind that. Wanting other people to fail and not achieve what God would have for them. Lewdliness is filthy talk, indecent actions with your body. Evil eye is when you look at someone with envy and jealousy. You say, Jake, these are all hitting close to home today. Yes, because the evidence is that God wants us to repent. Blasphemy. This goes back to the very first one. You see, it's one thing to hear the Word of God, to read the Word of God, and disagree with it. That's a heart issue that you have. But when you get in the car today, and you and your wife begin to say, well, I can't believe the preacher spoke about fornication. I don't agree with that. He's wrong. You have not only went from sinning against God to you have combined to commit blasphemy. And Jesus says you can't have this in your life and be right with God. The last two are probably the hardest. Pride. Pride is a desire that I'm right, that it's all about me, that what I think, what I feel, what I want, it's self-destructive. It's what caused Lucifer to fall when he looked at the Father on the throne of heaven and said, that's what I want. That's where I should be. And then foolishness. The Bible means this as carelessness. Just not taking things serious. Joking about things that shouldn't be joked about. Joking about the things of God or morality when it really does matter. Jesus mentions all of these specifically. And trust me, I wanted to skip them all collectively. But what he says is, the evidence of my life are these characteristics what is coming out of my heart. Because of of these things define me, Jesus says, evil heart. That means that I've never been born again. I'm not a child of God. Or I am a child of God, but I'm struggling in sin. You say, Jake, I hope you're almost done. And I am. How do we know these things? No one wakes up one morning and says, I don't think I'm where God wants me to be. No one wakes up one morning and says, I'm an enemy of God. I'm a rebel of God. No one wakes up one morning and says, I need God on your own. The Bible says that's why the Holy Spirit was sent into this world. Listen to what John chapter 16 says in verse 8. And when He has come, when He came on the day of Pentecost, He came into the world to work. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Those are the three things that He will do in the life of the person who's running from God. 
The three things He will do in the heart and life of someone who is claiming to know Jesus but living in sin. Look what it says in verse 9 because it explains itself. Of sin because they do not believe in Me. Today, if you are under conviction because you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, it is not me, it's not what I'm saying, it's not the music that we have sung, it is the fact that the very Spirit of God is dealing with you. He is convicting you. He is working in your heart and life. You say, well, Jake, does He convict everyone? Well, it says there for those who don't believe. At some point, all of us don't believe of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of our need for a Savior. Then He points us to Jesus, the righteous one, the one who lived a perfect, sinless life, the one who went to the cross and died in our place, the one who rose from the dead and is going back to the Father. He is the righteousness that I need in my life. He is the forgiveness and the hope that I need. But not just does He convict us, and not just does He point us to Jesus, but look at verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And so the Holy Spirit will show us, not only do we need to be saved, that we can to be saved, but there is a consequence for not being saved. Friends, I wish the Bible said there was no hell, but it says there is a place called hell. There is a place where those who reject the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ will spend a time of punishment. But at the end of time, after the great white throne judgment, the Bible says that the Antichrist, the devil, and the beast will be thrown into the lake of fire, a place of punishment for all of eternity. You say, Jake, how is that fair? It's fair because God is holy and He's perfect in every way. And sin does not enter into His presence in a place called heaven, but yet He is willing to forgive you and me of our sin so that we can spend an eternity with Him. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5, and I don't have time to read it this morning, it talks about all of the side effects, the evidence of what it looks like to live a life in the flesh. And it also says in that very same chapter all the evidence of what it means to live a life in the Spirit. And you can read those in Galatians 5, verses 16 through 26, and you can evaluate your walk with the Lord. But I want to leave you with this. Because this morning, no amount of right living will save you. No amount of obeying God or coming to church or getting baptized, taking the Lord's Supper, no matter how many times you do all of those things, none of it's enough to save you. But after you're saved by the grace and mercy of God, after you're a child of God, those are the things that you want to do to serve Him, to honor Him, to love Him. 1 John chapter 3 closes it like this, Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that He was manifested to take away our sins, and in Him... There is no sin. That means if you're a child of God, when God looks at you in terms of salvation, He sees no sin. He sees the blood of Jesus that covers you. His righteousness was given to you. Your sin was placed upon Him. That's what it says. If you are in Christ, you are innocent when it comes to your eternal standing. 
you have a heavenly home, a heavenly Father. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. But listen to how it says we live if that's who we are in verse 6. Whoever abides in Him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither Him nor known Him. Little children... Now, don't miss this because that's a pretty hard statement. But Jesus isn't saying through the Apostle John that you'll live perfect because no one lives perfect. But what He's saying is the desires to live godly become stronger than the desires to live in the sinful lifestyle. That means when God's Word is pointed out to me, when I'm His, I begin to recognize this is what I want for my life. This is what I want for my family. And it's almost like in verse 7, He knew He'd have a problem with this. And so He says, little children. He's almost now, now listen carefully. Now pay attention. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as He is righteous. Now don't think this means that because you live right, you're right with God. No, He's saying that once you've been saved, once you've been pardoned by the free gift of salvation, everything about you changes. Everything about the way you live changes. The way you talk changes. The way you want to go changes. Who you are is made brand new. And he even says, don't believe the lies of people who tell you it's okay to stay the same way you were before you were saved. Because it's not. Look what it says in verse 8. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that He might destroy the works of the devil. He says, and just in case you want to argue about it, remember, Jesus came to conquer sin and death and the grave, and He did. And friends, when He saves you and conquers the sin and death in your life, He changes you. Now, one of two things is happening. The legalists in the room are going, He got them today. Right? He told all those people who weren't living right how they ought to be living. That's not what I said. And for some of you, you're sitting over here thinking, well, I'm going to tell you what, I know I'm a Christian and I can live however I want because God loves me and I know He loves me. I want you to look up here. Both of you are way off. What I want you to know is that Jesus loves you. He died for you. He rose for you. And if you will call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. But recognize when that happens, God will forever change you. He will forever work in your heart and life. And things will never be the same again. You say, well, Jake, I prayed the prayer and I lived the same way I did before and it's not a problem. Friends, you repeated some words, but you've never met the Savior. Oh, you say, well, Jake, I've been baptized 13 times because I can't ever decide if I'm a Christian or not. And I keep living the same way I did before I got baptized the first time. It's because you got wet, not washed. Friends, this morning, if you're a child of God, know that you are in the palm of His hand and nothing can separate you from Him. And look at the victories that He is winning. Are you perfect? No. But you ought to be able to look at your life and say, God has been winning victories in my life and I'm thankful. 
Or today you might be sitting here thinking, Jake, I think I'm a Christian, but I don't like any of the things that you just said. Friends, I didn't want to say them. I didn't even come up with them. I just repeated what Jesus said is in the heart of an evil person. But today all that can change because He can put a new heart in you. He can put His Spirit in you. And He can forever change you if you let Him. You say, well, Jake, I think I'm saved. I think I'm living the life that honors God. I feel like I'm under conviction. That's what we said last week, that if you are being dealt with in your sin, that God still loves you enough to correct you. But you say, what about my kids? Or what about my grandkids? Or what about my nieces? Or what about my nephews? This is a wonderful opportunity for you to pray for them. Lord, I remember that kid that used to sit in youth group with me, but they've gotten tangled in the things of this world and they don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with church. And you need to be praying that God would deal with them. You say, Jake, I bring my husband or my wife to church every Sunday and nothing seems to change. They leave just as cold and dead as when they came the Sunday before. You need to be praying for them. Today, this sermon is for us as individuals, but it is also something that motivates us to pray and love those in our families, in our life. Because friends, we either get it right or we don't. The evidence is either there or it's not. But I'm thankful that God showed up and says, here it is. I love you enough to show you the truth. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You for the privilege to open it today. And Lord, I know that it is challenging. It is difficult. Lord, I know that if You don't use it this morning, nothing will happen. But Lord, I pray today that through the power of Your Word, the power of Your Spirit, that lives are changed, that people are saved, that Christians are rededicated, and Lord, that we would quit lying to ourselves. And Lord, I ask that prayer for myself first and foremost. And Lord, I ask it for this church. Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.